Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello and welcome to CTRM Radio, a regular podcast from Commodity Technology Advisory on issues related to technology and business trends around commodity markets. I'm Gary Vasey and later we'll be hearing from my colleague Patrick Reams. Today we'll be taking a look at how CTRM in the cloud, or CTRM delivered as software as a service, is helping to reshape the procurement process. Typically, CTRM and related software was procured using a long and very formal process involving a request for information and a request for proposal. The process is usually quite involved and can take many months to complete at some considerable cost. Today, with the move to the cloud and software as a service, things appear to be changing as it's relatively easy to conduct proof of concepts or trials of a potential solution. First, however, let's look at the traditional process in a bit more detail. Here is David Kalmanson talking about that traditional procurement process. Having, having been in the selling software into the energy industry space for uh, best part of 25, 30 years, certainly in the, in, the, uh, in the early days, really right up to fairly recently, the traditional way of procuring energy software, such as ETRM systems, has been through the, uh, uh, the wonderful RFQ, request for quotation or RFP, request for price, usually preceded by a re- RFI, which is a request for information. To start with, you can, you can see it's quite a lengthy, uh, lengthy process. You get an RFI. FI that might be sent to 10, 20, 30 people potentially, and it's usually a fairly innocuous document that doesn't take too long to uh, fairly boilerplate to complete, such as name, address, name, rank, serial number, that sort of thing, whether the directors have been in prison for more than five years, etc. So that sort of thing. So you go through that process and, and then you get whittled down to uh, maybe six to ten people, something like that. And then the RFQ goes goes ahead. You know, happy days as a sales guy. RFQ usually comes out around the 20th of July or the 20th of December, which is perfect for the for the the recipient of the RFQ, not the buyer, because they, uh, they they'd spent a few weeks writing it, sent it out. It used to be by post, CD, and obviously on email. Now then they they go off on their holidays, which is great, and leaving the poor sales guy to, to sweat in July or freeze and, and work over Christmas to make sure, because of course they want it back on the 3rd of January when they come back refreshed. So that used to be the thing. So an RFQ, what's an RFQ consist of? You know, typically 700 technical questions, 500 non-technical 500 functional questions, reference sites, CVs, high level sort of project plan, recruitment policy, health and safety policy, security policy. So it's quite it's quite a lengthy thing to fill in. And of course, usually the big commercial section as well, where you've got to go through all sorts of different licensing, ways of licensing your, your software and, and managing the project. So that was an RFQ, very, very timely. And I, I did a costly exercise a while ago how long it takes a vendor to go through a lengthy RFQ. It's tens and tens of K, really. Uh, and bear in mind, obviously, the, lot, the further you get in the, into the process, so let's say you get whittled down to three, then it's costing you more because you're doing more work. Of course, you, you're, your probability of winning the work is, is going up, which is great. But let's say you get down to the last two and you lose, then you might spend heading on for 50 to 100 K doing the you know do this rfq if you uh, if you calculate sort of lost time and if you've got a one in three one in four chance of winning this you, you really have to start thinking very carefully about whether you bid a certain rfq and that's not a bad exercise to be fair you know joking apart you shouldn't be bidding for everything and anything a lot of the rfqs will come out and you'll think yes this is very winnable what you don't know maybe you should know but what you don't know is 
what else is going on in the background and really you were never in with a chance because actually they'd already made their decision pretty much and that's very frustrating so in summary that was the traditional way buying uh, ETRM systems. You can learn a lot more about the traditional processes in our book Selecting and Implementing ETRM Software which is available from Amazon if you're interested. However things are changing. Over the last year or so as we talked to people all over the industry we began to hear about proof of concepts and trials taking on a new level of importance in the procurement process. We talked to Tim Rogers of Contigo about his observations on procurement trends. I think that it has changed. Uh, it's changed the way that people approach the market in general. So, so cloud and, and, and SaaS in general is a different way of thinking about um, trading systems. If you'd have had a conversation about, about putting a trading system in the cloud even five years ago, it, it would have been a very, very short conversation. But now people are much more comfortable with putting their data in the cloud. They understand that it, it, it's quite often, in fact, almost always, a much more secure, a secure place to put your data. Data centers only run and manage their data centers. So security and redundancy is absolutely paramount and they will put more effort into it than, than, than a private company possibly could in general. So people are starting to think differently about the way they procure software. And one of the things that we're seeing, not just on the, on the cloud side, is, is the way people think about a procurement process. So procurement process it would, would normally be an RFI followed by an RFP or an RFQ. And then it would go through quite a um, quite a long process, and that still does happen, and and it's appropriate. But more and more, we're seeing organisations say, "Look, um, can you do as a proof of concept? Would it be appropriate for us to to use the software?" Now, trading software is is too complex to, to just install, give people a license, and then and let let them get on with it. But a a managed proof of concept is a is a way for organizations to get to get much more comfortable with the way they will run their processes once they've installed um, a trading system. So you may see a smaller organization that are not particularly, they've not run big, big, big procurement processes before. And what they would like to see, they don't just want to kick the tires and make sure it looks okay. They actually want to run it for a while and think about the processes, think about the way they will run their business. Particularly if they're a small organization, they're thinking about going to the next stage in, in, of maturity. So they may be running spreadsheets at the moment or in-house systems, and they're thinking, we want to move up to the, to the next stage. But every organization is different. What does that next stage look like? And a proof of concept can give them exactly that information. So it can really de-risk um, a procurement process and, and an implementation as far as the buyer is concerned. As far as the vendor is concerned, what we find is that it really sharpens our focus and, and allows us to, to, to properly understand where the organization is in that, in that maturity model, what they really need from, from a system, and to be able to have a dialogue with them really early on is a very meaningful conversation about where their business is going and what they need from a trading system and that's, that, that's everything from the way they the way, the way they set up contracts to the way it's uh, to way the integration process with, with with other systems works to the way users interact with the system on a, on a daily basis and we see more and more of this and um, you're you're sort of primarily referencing smaller customers, but um, have you come across any instances where it's a sort of public company that requires some formal process, and and, and are they tempted or, or doing the same thing? 
Yeah, they, they, they absolutely are. And for, for a large organization, the, the standard procurement process will, will, will always hold and they've got to go through an RFP and that's that's absolutely the right thing. But we're seeing people put in front of the implementation a proof of concept or a detailed scoping phase. And the, 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 these things are not equivalent, but some of the out, uh, some of the output from those processes are the same. And it, again, it allows... Um, it allows the vendor to really understand what the what the customer requires. It allows the customer as well to 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 be able to not just see what the software will do, but prove to themselves that everything that's said in the marketing marketing material is as it implies, and and, and everything from from speed of execution, m- manipulating data. How, how quickly does the time series execute? Can I really slice out quarter hourly data or half hourly data for a, for a particular time period um, in near real time? Well, you can you can see it work with some proper contracts in the system. So, so the de-risking of the of the of the overall implementation process is very significant indeed, and we do see large organisations come to us with that. And and it can be a separate it's a separate piece of work, and at the end of which the the customer can say. Yep, that's absolutely absolutely what I'm looking for, or or maybe not. Maybe I maybe having done that done that exercise, I I now have more information and and I need to do, do need to go away and think again and do something differently. And do you see this sort of proof of concept also having the the, the sort of incremental benefit that you've really already started the, the rollout? Absolutely, Be, because most of most of the the, the proof of concept is um, at least conceptually is is reusable. We often find that that actually some of the some of the technology rollout is reusable as well. So that will just roll straight into an implementation system. And again, because of the cloud, because it's because it's deployed on on uh, managed infrastructure, we can spin those environments up very very easily. We can take copies of them. You can have a sandbox environment that that users can play with, and you can also have a configuration environment that might then represent uh, something that you would take over into an implementation phase. So that all of that work that's done up front is. Is, is not wasted is just reused as you go into the implementation phase and is is there a way in terms of paying for this is is this something that is an incremental charge or is this something that's an incremental charge but if you take the system it's deducted from how does that work so typically an implementation phase would would have at the start a a scoping phase and then some analysis usually a gap analysis, uh, then some planning before the implementation was to start. Um, some of that work would be done in a proof of concept, so that work would not be lost and would then roll over and any 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 commercial outlay in that initial piece of work would be then reflected and deducted from the from the full implementation. So it can be very, very cost-effective way of getting started in, in, um, in an ETRM implementation. Richard Williamson and Bruce Tozer of Generation 10 also gave us their views on this issue. You do still see plenty of RFPs range from you know, 50 questions to 2,000 plus in, in some cases, which is quite, quite, quite the thing. Cloud is the big game changer, isn't it? Well, w- what we're seeing is we're being opened up to new opportunities we wouldn't have seen before because people are looking, big companies across some of the sectors we haven't covered extensively like energy, are saying they're really looking for new solutions from providers who haven't been necessarily on the big RFP list. And so this allows them to trial more innovative solutions, 
take it on a bite-sized basis and really see whether it works. So it's a sort of fragmentation of the buying process from a monolithic system with a lot of risk to let's see if really get a lot more information about how this is going to work, what the risks are, what the good points are. Are you seeing much in terms of people just doing maybe smaller businesses, just doing POCs or trials and, and kind of not bothering with an RFP at all? I don't think size has anything to do with it. If you think of the RFP, you, you know why it existed at the time. You know, you had to go on site and implement and da da da. So you had to, it was very contractual and, and leaps of faith and stuff. Whereas now it's, it's not quite username, password, have a go, but, but you know, we're getting close to that. And, and so why, why not? I mean, get, get a few champions from your business, get a friend who wants to change, uh, you know, digitally transform, get someone from logistics, someone from finance, someone from risk and overall management in, in their own fields, compile a few scenarios. You want everyone to go with a best foot forward. You know, don't, don't give us username, password or throw the, the most difficult scenario at us. Have a range of some different scenarios. Give the vendor a chance to set up the, the workflows correctly. Make sure that their ports of origin and destination are in there and, and whatever price curves that they're dealing with. And then go with it. Have a play with it for a week, repeating your scenarios. And by the end of that week, you're going to know if you're going to get benefit from, from the system. Three to four week thing rather than a, a protracted three to six month thing based on a very static set of boilerplate questions. One of the other things we think, Gary, is there is going to be a move towards, as we've discussed before, an ecosystem of apps and rather than just monolithic systems, which cover the whole thing. And this means that buyers will in procurement will be able to, the switching costs from trialing part of the system with a very more precise functionality around the value driver is going to be much lower. So people will be able to buy by piloting that part of the system that they think needs upgrading at this stage. So it does does potentially give the procurer a lot more optionality in terms of, of trialing and learning by doing. Yeah, now there's going to be contract management apps that talk to the rest of, of your ecosystem. You know, there's going to be hedging tools. There's going to be visualization tools. So the, what's the procurement going to have? They're going to have more options uh, to, to evaluate, also more bite-sized chunks. So they don't have to involve the entire uh, organization for the exercise. And the fact that there are lower switching costs and, and barriers to, to switching de-risks the whole process for them. And, but it also opens up to more innovation. Yeah, exactly. So you can trial things and experiment and test uh, in a way that if you're buying a monolithic system and it all comes together, you can't take that risk. Also, I think we all know that implementation costs are a huge thing. Doing these pilots, you get more information. How's the implementation going to look? What is the sort of service we can expect? Uh, is this going to be delivered? So you, you get a lot more information from the process. What's your downside? some wasted time and resources on the pilot. But is it necessarily wasted? Because if you choose to go forward with, with the piloted solution, then... Absolutely. I would say that the, the downside is not that much because you've learned a lot more. You may have learned actually what needs to be adjusted and how that can be improved. But it certainly gives you a much better handle on, 
on what implementation might be like. So yeah, if you were to ask what's the what's the ideal procurement process today, research the high level contenders, you know, the services that you, you and Patrick bring at the CTRM center, high level, not very in-depth sort of RFP broken down into eight, ten very high-level items. Get your champions of departments to com- to compile some scenarios. Uh, pass them over to to your three vendors that you've shortlisted. Arrange a workshop to go through it with the vendor, so you get to know what the vendors like. Uh, any issues that came up with the scenarios? How did they deal with them? You know, it's not just the software you get you're getting into. It's it's that vendor going to be good post sales? How, how do they react to to, to the challenges? Do they know their stuff in your area of expertise? If that workshop's any good, get yourself access for a week. Um, spend some time, you know, utilize that week uh, efficiently uh, to try those scenarios. Uh, there might be some iteration or something, but you know, at the end of that week, you're going to have a good idea for that software and for the vendor. You know, what's the service like? The relationship's very important. What's their roadmap going forward? You know, this is this is what they've got. Where's that company going? And I would say after, after three to four weeks, you're going to know, you're going to be making a confident choice in uh, who's right for your line of business and your part of the supply chain. We also spoke to David Kalmanson about the ins and outs of the new process, which might involve a, a proof of concept or a trial. Here's what he had to say. So that's making things quite different. I mean, I'm, I'm not directly involved now in uh, selling ETRM systems, but I sell some software uh, for energy process automation, managing power purchase agreements, that sort of thing. And it's cloud-based, because a lot of ETRM systems are now. And what, what we're seeing now is very much a move away from lengthy RFQs to proof of concepts, free trials, that sort of thing. That, to me, is beneficial, of course, to the vendor because they're cutting down a lot of time and cost. But, you know, also to the procurement people, maybe maybe not the procurement division, maybe maybe some of those guys have, you know, got a bit less work to do. But certainly for the end user, it's, it's the way to go. I mean, again, look at, looking at the way we're selling the software, we kind of do for two sort of POCs, proofs of concept. And what we tend to do is start off with a, a mini POC, which would be, say, give us one process and we'll model that in the software. And the beauty of that, firstly, we do that at a, a, as a cost of sales because we'll only spend a couple of hours, two or three hours doing that, relate that even to complete you know, an RFI, sort of a, even that took longer, this, this early stage request for information. And what happens then is you actually, show the guys their process in your software so so straight away it sets the context perfectly and you can get a feel a feel very quickly he or she could get a feel very quickly of how his problem is being solved in your software and that's just just kind of the mini poc what we then go on assuming that all went well which which typically does we then say okay so we're going to do a more formal uh, proof of concept now be a modest charge for that maybe 10 15k you know maybe it's a couple of weeks work or something like that but we also from a commercial point of view we usually say okay well look, look you know if you license the software following that then that's refundable anyway so so it doesn't really cost you anything we would then sort of uh, sit down with the uh, procurement, procuring software and say, okay, let's work out the success criteria. Let's obviously go through. So we spend a half day workshop or something going through what they wanted us to model. We then take that away, play that back to them and say, this is what you've said. Is this okay? This is what we're going to do. That's fine. And then we go away and configure it and then come back and, and go through the proof of concept, sort of demonstration, all the success criteria, every all the boxes ticked. Even more of advantageous than that 
that they could see that the, the software is actually uh, uh, performing a you know valuable functionality for them is that almost certainly base a PFC on something they actually wanted to get done further down the line. So straight away they got a completed process done even before licensing the software. So they're partway through an implementation potentially. Software we're licensing again is aimed at being user configurable. So we will spend part of that proof of concept with one of the you know their lead implementation guys and we'll actually do some training. So we we would expect the guy by the end of the proof of concept to be able to configure uh, some processes himself. So he's already part trained. The whole thing, as I say, costing 10, 15k for the for the procurement people. Next to nothing compared to what it what it uh, costs to uh, prepare an RFQ. They see something, they know it works. They've got a process. They've even got partway through a project. They've got some training. It, it really is, you know, to my point of view, it's a no-brainer. It, it's a completely different way of procuring software. But do you think that this is something that's being taken up by smaller buyers, or, or because it tends to be the larger, more public, and particularly public-owned type entities that go through this very laborious and formal procurement process with RF? I's, P's and Q's. Are you seeing it being adopted across the industry or just in in smaller businesses? That kind of thing. Put it this way: we've 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 done one POC, uh, we've done a POC already with one of the big six in the UK, and we're about to, about hopefully to uh, to start another one in the next couple of weeks. So the, the answer is no. It's actually being adopted by the large organisations as well. That kind of needs selling to as part of the sales process. You actually sell them the concept of a POC being you know, in the way I've just sort of described it now. Just thinking from like a, a public company standpoint with a, a legal competitive tender requirement, how does the proof of concept work within the context of that obligation on their part? Do you know? It's a good question. I suppose, I, I don't know the answer, but, but logically what they would do is possibly put out, you know, an initial small RFI just, just, to, just to gather a few suitable people in because prior to prior to the mini proof of concept we're still doing a software demonstration so um, demonstrations could still be performed and then maybe whittle down to uh, to two companies to do proofs of concept you know i guess i guess that'd be one way of working it thanks david and now we're going to visit with patrick reams in houston patrick I'm uh, speaking this morning with uh, Mayak Mogdal, associate partner at Capco, one of the premier energy-centric consulting firms in the Houston and, and really in the around the globe. So, so Mayak, thanks for joining us. And, and the question I want to pose to you is, how has system procurement changed as ETRM, CTRM technology continues to evolve, both in terms of how it's used by energy participants and, and how it's deployed? Thanks for having me. I definitely believe that the role and function of the procurement group is changing, especially with the advent of the digital revolution and the move of cloud offerings uh, to the mainstream in recent years. We've seen that both buyers, be they in business or IT, and procurement groups need to know more about each other's priorities, each other's work, and need to be involved at a much earlier level and at a much deeper level than was required so far. The way I see the change, I've categorized it in four different areas. I'll list them and then talk about each one of them in turn. So the first one is the process change itself, you know, which is a result of increasing interfacing between the systems, which has now led to a need for interfacing between teams. The silos are breaking down, so to speak. The second one is the ease of proof of concepts and trials. 
and how procurement needs to stay in tune with those changes. The third one is around budgets and expenditures. And then the fourth one is around organizational change. Well, let me talk about each one of these in more detail. So for the first one, around process change itself. Now, as you remember, earlier, most of vendor selection, software selection uh, type of initiatives used to be centered around functionality first. So it would be the IT buyers in most cases, business buyers as well, who would be responsible for vetting the solution, getting a shortlist created of the solutions they like, which they think fit their needs. And once you've gone through that whole process, you would then hand it over to your procurement group for contract negotiations, for pricing, setup, what have you. And some of these initiatives could take months on end. I mean, I've seen you know, some of our larger clients set up an RFP for a new cloud vendor selection, especially in the CTRM space. And end-to-end, it can take anywhere from three to six months before you actually finally sign on the dotted line. Well, nowadays, the division is not so clear-cut. First of all, with cloud-based solutions, a lot of the vendors can spin up and, you know, get you running in a matter of weeks, even days. So that's why procurement now needs to be involved at a much earlier stage and then also at an ongoing rate as well because you've got incremental functionality, enhancements, uh, you know, ongoing costs for hosting, what have you. So procurement needs to know exactly what you're going to be doing and then needs to be consistently involved. You know, all through to the end of life of a system for the teardown, data disposal, and everything in between. So as we can see, those, those silos are no longer there. They're breaking down. And ultimately, I think it's a good thing. The, the second area where I see the change is around trials of, of the software itself and, and proof of concepts, or POCs, as we call them. So it is much more easier to start with a small vertical slice of functionality for a given cloud solution, you know, to vet the solution itself that it meets your needs compared to how it would be done previously. Now, this was possible in case of on-premise solutions, you know, in, in, in the previous era, so to speak, but it was quite limited in scope and in usage you either had to provide the vendor a short list of very clearly defined use cases, which they would then pre-configure and show you in a controlled demo, or sometimes they would let you use a generic sandbox uh, environment for a limited time. But again, this wasn't set up to your needs, you know, your business, and a lot of times it would be used by other clients or internal development and support. And if, if you could even get to the stage where you wanted to talk about setting up an on-premise demo or trial, which mirrored your own setup, even a small functional slice of it, it was quite daunting because you had to figure out hardware, software, contracts, interfacing, all of it. In contrast, now you can ask for a smaller size instance to be spun up. And uh, as I said earlier, a lot of companies could 
spin that up in a matter of days and they can provide it to you. Uh, you know, you can tweak it easily. You can let your IT and business experts tinker with it and, and you get a real feel for how the solution would actually work for your enterprise. And of course, you know, compared to earlier, the costs in these situations are minuscule. So a lot of vendors are just offering these trials for free. Uh, and even if they're not, you know, again, you know, th- these are very cost effective licenses are monthly. And in case of trials, you know, you could even have it a sub monthly basis. So it's easier for both the vendor as well as the buyer to, to get into these sort of setups. Now, of course, while it's functionally and technically easier, the procurement teams, again, need to be involved here at a very early stage because you know, while it's very easy to say, all right, here's uh, a small instance and, you know, you can go play with it, but there's still, you know, contracts to be negotiated around how the access would work. If you're going to be putting in your own data, uh, even a small chunk of it, then, you know, uh, what sort of data protections do these environments have? Uh, what's the decommissioning like? How would the data be disposed of? So, again, you know, procurement needs to know. And also, in, in, in case of some of our bigger clients, we've seen that business and IT groups could have multiple such trials running for multiple groups at the same time. So that's where, again, procurement needs to connect the dots to make sure that, one, all of these trials are, are running smoothly, but then also that teams do not end up reinventing the wheel. You know, So if, if there are similar solutions or touch points or interfacing, they get those people talking to each other. So again... You know, from a technical perspective also and functional perspective, we see that those silos are now going away, which is a good thing. The third category, which I talked about, was budgets and expenditure. This is specifically talking about capital expenses versus operational expenses. Now, having been in a buyer's chair myself, I've seen that traditionally procurement teams have been involved in capital spend decisions to a large extent. And not so much when it comes down to operating expenses. And the reason for this was that operating expenses earlier used to be personnel-related expenses, built-in infrastructure and server costs, or ongoing maintenance costs, which were pretty much already negotiated, baked in. There was not a whole lot of room for maneuvering there. But now we're seeing a trend where you have slipstream enhancements, you know, which could show up in your cloud solution. You know, you just need to flip a switch, turn them on, of course, you know, with the, the respective costs. You also have the ability to now expand or contract the footprint of your offering in keeping with the footprint of your business itself. So, you know, be it addition of new modules, increase or decrease in the footprint, or addition or removal of dispatch and logistics locations, uh, and, and so on. You know, it, it's it's not just a one and done uh, sort of setup anymore. And secondly, a lot of these costs have now moved into the operating expenses column when it comes to doing your uh, enterprise budgets. So now procurement groups need to be uh, involved on the operational budget side as well. And they need to be constantly be checking and be in sync with their business and IT buyers because, again, it's it's not just limited to an annual budget exercise or, you know, where you dedicate a large chunk of capital budget to certain big projects, you buy your software and you're done. 
nowadays, the costs could be going up and down on a monthly basis. You know, as we talked about it, a lot of these solutions, they have monthly licensing. And again, you know, while it's very flexible and great, a, a good procurement team needs to make sure that they're aware of all of these POCs, trials, and actual production solutions which are being used and how that impacts their budgets. So this brings us to my fourth and final category, which I believe is really a culmination of the previous three I talked about, which is organizational change in itself. So, you know, we've seen, of course, change seems to be the new mantra nowadays. There's a lot of change when it comes to offerings in the market, the market itself, uh, you know, how enterprises are changing. And, and that's where I believe procurement groups also need to change in the way they were organized, in the way they work with uh, other or, uh, organization teams. And we've already seen some of our more prescient clients are already discussing with us the emergence of what they term a hybrid role in IT organizations. So this would be somebody who has experience with procurement, contract negotiations, uh, and so on, but is also well worst, probably has previous hands-on experience with the functional and technical aspects of the business aspect of the enterprise and, and, and the software and technical solutions they use so that they can then put both of those together and, and figure out what is the best solution for every given situation. So as, as you can see, I, I believe this is definitely going to be an interesting area to look out for and, and some good changes coming this way. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Mayak. That's that's a great description and, and summation of how ETRM, CTR market is evolving and the impacts on how companies acquire and onboard these these systems that are so critical to effectively and profitably managing their business in a, in a rapidly evolving marketplace. So there we have it, another edition of CTRM Radio. We'd like to thank all of the guests that have appeared on the show today. We hope that you found it very informative and useful. Uh, please do tell your colleagues about CTRM Radio and how to listen to it, available on SoundCloud and also on CTRM Center. Please don't forget to visit CTRMCenter.com every day for your news, opinions, views, research and reports. Much of the content there is absolutely free and we think invaluable to those involved in the commodities trading risk management technology arena. My name is Gary Vesey. On behalf of myself and Patrick Reams and Comtech Advisory, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Till the next time, goodbye. You've been listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at ComTechAdvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Vasey and their guests today, and we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.